with me to, let's see, I got a lot of verses here. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. And um, amen. I want to just share some things with you from the Word this morning that I believe is going to help you. Amen? Amen? You, you, you in faith with me about what God's going to say to us today? All right. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. It says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. One more time. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Over the last few weeks, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to us as a family of faith, but in other words we often draw the distinction between the individual and the collected whole. And so we are the body of Christ and we are members individually. You are the body of Christ and you are a member individually. And certainly our Creator Father, He recognizes you as an individual. Never has been, never will be another you. God created you as a unique being He gifted you in unique ways. He uh, equipped you and and blessed you with certain talents and abilities um, and gifts and callings. And all of those things, you know, correspond to, coincide with um, your purpose and ultimate destiny um, in His kingdom, uh, in, in His great plan. Amen. And so He does see you as an individual. But then he also sees how you fit into and fit in with other members of the body of Christ and how your gifts are to come alongside other people's gifts. And when that happens, something called synergy takes place where more is accomplished by people working together than if you take the individual sum of their efforts and simply add them together. The principle goes like this. One person can put 1,000 devils to flight, but two can put 10,000. So it's an exponential multiplication of effectiveness when we come together and work together. So when I say that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, certainly He's speaking to you. Amen. But not just to you as an individual, but to us as the body of Christ. And one of the things that I believe he is saying to us very clearly is that he wants us to make more room for him in our lives, that he wants to make more room for him to work in us as individuals, as a family of faith, as a body of believers, but also to make more room for him to add to us, for him to add to us. If you remember in the book of Revelation, the Bible says that Jesus is at the door knocking He's at the door knocking. And many times we, we use that passage to, uh, to communicate like salvation, that Jesus is knocking on the door of the heart of someone who is not born again uh, so that they would let Him in to be saved and to receive salvation. While that's okay if you want to use it that way, that's really not what's going on there in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, He's knocking on the door of the church. He's knocking on the door of the church to see if perhaps those inside will open the door to Him and make room for Him to come 
and do what only He can do in our lives. Now, we've made a statement a few times, and I'm going I'm to keep making it, and, and that is that your Heavenly Father, your, your Creator Father, He desires far more from a relationship with you. He expects far more from a relationship with you um, than has ever entered into your wildest imagination. And this passage in Ephesians 3, where it says He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we, that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, the context of this verse, the context of this verse is that relationship, that fellowship that He created you to have with Himself so that you could be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, you think about you being filled with all the fullness of God, that goes beyond our comprehension. That goes beyond anything that we've ever asked or made room in our thinking for up until this point. And so the reason he gives us this passage is he's wanting for, for the ceiling of what we believe is possible to, if not be removed, to at least be moved to a higher level. Remember, he said that you are restricted, you are limited, but not by him. You are limited or you are restricted by your own affections. By, by, by what you have room for and what you make room for Him to do and add to you in your life. And so when I say that He desires uh, more from you and expects more from a relationship with you than has ever entered into your wildest imaginations, again, I'm asking you to think beyond what you've thought is possible when it comes to your relationship, your fellowship with God the Father. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says it this way, As it is written, eyes not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. So when we talk about this relationship, we're not just talking about um, you know, this idea that, that God wants you to do more and sacrifice more and give more. But what we're talking about here is that God created you with the desire and expectation of loving you, giving Himself to you, being one with you, and filling you with His fullness by literally sharing all that He is and all that He has with you. You know, I could just read that about 20 more times until the time was up this morning and, and really uh, be hard for me to say anything more important. God created you. I'm asking you, so when, I, when we talk about, you know, thinking higher, thinking better, thinking bigger. I'm not just talking about what belongs to you or all that other stuff. All that's important. But all of that is realized in our lives through our relationship, through our fellowship with God the Father. He's already given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's already healed you. He's already blessed you. He's already prospered you. He's already redeemed you. He's already made you righteous. He's already seated you with Jesus far above every devil that's ever threatened you or your family. He's, he's already given you the power to lay your hands on the sick and the sick recover. He's already given you the ability to do what Jesus did and even greater works because Jesus has gone to the Father. He's withheld no good thing from you. He sent Jesus to die for you, delivered Him up for us all. Now that Jesus is back with Him, the Bible says He's withheld no good thing from you. And so we come to God the Father, but remember, remember those two sons. Both of them wanted what their daddy had, but they didn't want their daddy. Both of them wanted God's, you know, God's help, but they didn't want the fellowship with God that God was offering to them. So when we talk about able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think, when we talk about you know, this God you know, who you know, goes beyond and, 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 and exceeds our wildest imaginations, 
stop thinking about things and start thinking about Him. Stop, get your mind off of what you want Him to do for you and, and, and get your heart and mind set upon going after Him, to know Him like few people have ever known Him, to, to, to understand what He desires and expects from a relationship with you and make that not just your number one priority, but the thing that, that, that everything else in your life bows its knee to. Remember, He said, if you'll seek first the kingdom and His righteousness, God's way of being and doing right, Everything else in your life will be added to you. Everything else in your life will be added to you. The Bible says He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Those who come to God must believe two things. Hebrews eleven six 6, must believe that He is and must believe that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek His blessing, diligently seek his help, diligently seek His healing, diligently seek His protection, diligently seek His provision. No, it doesn't say any of that. Those who diligently seek Him. Diligently seek Him. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Praise God. Thank you, Father. Now, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, praise God. And in Matthew 22, we find an encounter that Jesus had with some religious people who were simply trying to, to trip Him up. They were trying to outwit Him. They were... They were trying to make him look dumb and, and ignorant and themselves look, uh, you know, smart and, and wise and superior. And we, we see that, um, you know, they tried this many different times in many different ways and they never succeeded until finally they just gave up. Um, they, they were trying to, uh, to discredit him and, um, and every time they tried to discredit him, every time they tried to embarrass him, the tables were turned. They were the ones that were discredited. They were the ones that were embarrassed. Now, this is a template for you and me to learn from because the devil is trying to embarrass you. The devil is trying to shame you. The devil is trying to discredit you. This is why the Bible says those who hope in God will never be ashamed. You'll never be embarrassed. I mean, when your hope is in him. And so we, we see that Every time that they would try this against Jesus, um, it would just show his wisdom and, 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 and his uh, uh, superiority, if you will, in a greater light. Now, this is one of those occasions. And it's in uh, Matthew chapter 22. Let's begin at verse number 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. All right, the Holy Spirit's bumped me twice about this. So <clears throat> how did they try to trip him up? How did they try to entangle him? How did they try to get him to stumble. They tried to, to entangle him and trip him and get him to stumble in his talk. In his talk. 
Now, we could spend the rest of today and tonight on, on this one subject. But the devil tries the same thing with you and me. He tries to get us to say things we ain't got no business saying. He tries to trip you up by the words that come out of your mouth. He tries to get you to speak all kinds of death and sickness and condemnation over your life and over your family and over your children. Are you hearing me? Well, you know, I'm trying to catch a cold. Well, quit trying. But notice, the devil is, notice, he's trying to, get, he's trying to ensnare you. He's trying to entangle you. He's trying to trip you up with words. He puts thoughts in your mind, hoping that you will take those thoughts by speaking the words of those thoughts out of your mouth. It's no different approach with you and me than he took with Jesus. Now, notice that they also used flattery. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Hoping that Jesus would get in pride and, and make statements of, of, of pridefulness. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they're not my own. Jesus did not come to this earth to give us his opinion. Jesus did not come to this earth to give us His commentary on the religious establishment, the political establishment, the plight of man. He did not come to tell us what He thought. He came to tell us what His Father said. And this is how we need to respond to the enemy when he tries to lure you into saying things you ain't got no business saying. It's not about what you think. It's about what God has said about your situation. What has God said about your healing? What has God said about your children? What has God said about your finances? You're going to get in trouble and you're going to get ensnared and you're going to wind up taking a fall from faith when you start giving your opinion on things or the world's opinion on things when you simply need to say what God God has said. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God, render to God the things that are God's. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now, the Holy Spirit led me to this passage a few weeks back, showing me how it relates to the subject that we've been upon now for, what, a good, I guess, six weeks now, maybe eight weeks and it comes back to this thought, this truth, that Father desires and expects far more from a relationship with you and with me 
than has ever entered into our wildest imaginations. Now, that part, the part about what God desires and what God expects, the Holy Spirit dropped that in my heart first and then led me to this passage. And as I begin to break this passage down and looking at the, the different words, clearly one of the important words in this passage is that word render. And this word render comes from, or think of it this way, you may not use the word render, but you perhaps are familiar with or use the word surrender. Surrender. And the idea of surrendering something, you know, carries with this idea of, of turning it over or, or, or giving over or giving up to, surrendering to. So when Jesus said render to Caesar... He's obviously, you know, we may understand that better as surrender to, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but render to, surrender to, give to God what belongs to God. One of the key areas that, that we all need to grow in is, is, we, is our recognition, our awareness of what is of this world and what is of God. What is of the flesh and what is of the Spirit? What is of darkness and what is of light? When Jesus had His conversation with Nicodemus, Nicodemus could not understand the concept of the new birth because he kept looking at it from a purely physical perspective. Jesus said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can a man when he's old go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So when Jesus says, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but render unto God what belongs to God, He's talking about this ability that you and I need to recognize what belongs to this world and what belongs to God. Many times we are very, how do I say this? We, we, we are very educated. We are, we are very experienced in giving the world its due. Giving to the world what belongs to the world. Giving to the world system what belongs to the world system. But we are sometimes clueless when it comes or are less enthused when it comes to giving to God what belongs to God. Rendering to God what belongs to God. See, you hear people quote this verse, but they only quote the Caesar part. Around April 15th, people talk about, well, we've got to go render unto Caesar. Sometimes people say that they have no idea that they're quoting Jesus. They're having no, they have no idea that Jesus is the one who originally said that. He said, render unto Caesar. He's talking about paying taxes. But that's not all he said. He didn't just say, render under Caesar. 
Am I the only one that thinks it's a bit odd that people know the first part, the first part of that phrase, the first part of that statement, but they don't know or never quote the second part? Jesus said, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but render unto God what belongs to God. Reckon which one is more important, giving to Caesar what belongs to Caesar or giving to God what belongs to God? Obviously, they're both important. And I'm not suggesting that you choose one over the other because Jesus told us to do both. But if we're only going to single out one portion of what he said, why is it that we don't single out the portion, render unto God what belongs to God? Now I told you that the Holy Spirit dropped the words desire and expect in my spirit first. He said that it's it's understanding the fellowship, the closeness, the oneness that Father God desires and expects from you. And, and, and from me. Come on now. This is, man, sometimes in, in classes and in teaching here, the foundry, wherever, I, I'll, I'll get, when I say stuck, it's like we come to this one part and it's so difficult for me to move beyond it because it's such a life changing truth. It's such an important awakening. It's such, it's such a, a, an awareness. It, it's, 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 there's such a need for our eyes to be opened and, and for more light to shine in us where these things are concerned. It's, it's, it's kind of like this little journey the Holy Spirit's taken us on for the last few weeks about, about expanding our tent and, 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 and making room and, 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 and the thoughts from another world because we think on such a small level when it comes to the relationship that God desires to have with us. And He desires and expects more from a relationship with you and me than has ever entered into our wildest imaginations. Oh, sweet Jesus. Help us, Holy Spirit. Strengthen us with might by, by Yourself, by the Holy Spirit inside of us to comprehend, to understand these things. So the relationship that God expects and desires. So I'm breaking down dismantling something I love to do, sit around and do it for hours at a time and just, you know, look up and can't believe that much time's gone past. And, and, um, and so I come to this word render. And I look it up <clears throat> in the Greek. And it literally means... Desires, expectations, and demands. So remember, the Holy Spirit gave us the desires and expects part. But when Jesus said, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, He was literally saying, give to Caesar what Caesar desires. Give to Caesar what Caesar expects. Give to Caesar what Caesar demands. You probably know this already, but taxes in the United States, not a suggestion. It's the law, right? Give to Caesar what Caesar desires. Give to Caesar what Caesar expects. Give to Caesar what Caesar demands. And then give to God what God desires, what God expects, 
and what God demands. Now that word demands, you're going to have to give me some time to explain that, but let me just cut to the chase real quick. A Corvette demands to be driven differently than a four-wheel drive. Did I say commands? Demands. In other words, the idea behind the demand of something, when Jesus said, somebody get me a coin, and they started looking around in the pockets of their robes for a coin, and somebody pulled out a denarius, Jesus said, hand it to me. He says, whose image and inscription is on this coin? The image was the image of Caesar. The inscription, the markings on that coin were markings of Caesar or markings that Caesar had authorized. And Jesus says, so holding that coin as the example, because it had his image and it had his markings upon it, that meant give to him what he desires. Give to him what he expects. Give to him what he demands. Now here's the part you got to see. Here's the part you don't want to miss. And that is, whose image and whose inscription, whose markings are upon you? When you look into a mirror, I want you to point a finger at yourself in that mirror and I want you to ask yourself, Whose image and whose inscription do I bear? Because the image and inscription that you bear not only gives you clues as to what God desires and expects, it's your image and His image upon you, His inscription upon you, that gives you a clue as to what you were created and designed to accomplish by God. Are you hearing me this morning? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Let me try to break some of this down. I know I'm out of time, but let me give me just, a, just give me just one more minute, okay? Genesis chapter one, last verse. Genesis chapter one. Then God said. Let us make man in whose image? Our image, according to our likeness. He goes on to talk about dominion, and he goes on to talk about our purpose. And in verse 28, he gives five royal mandates. Let's go back to that first part. The plan of God... The plan of God was to create you and me, but not just to create us any old way, but to create us in the image and likeness of Himself. Image and likeness. Now, how many of you and I know you understand this, but I'm just trying to point out something that's obvious in hopes that it'll help some other lights come on inside of you. We had no say-so in this. It wasn't like God created a focus group of potential human beings and asked them what kind of being they would like to be. 
or what level they would like to exist upon. He did not consult with us when He predetermined our purpose. He had all of that in His heart and then created us in light of the purpose that He intended, that He desired, that He expected us to fulfill. Are you hearing me? This is really, this is really important. I'm not trying to confuse you. I know we got a little heavy, but just, amen, a few more minutes. Let me follow through. So, this means if we spend a moment considering how He created us, and the level to which He created us as far as the levels of created things are concerned. Remember, there's no other created thing on planet Earth comparable, compatible with you and me. It's because we were not created to be comparable to or compatible with all the other created things on planet Earth. We exist on planet Earth, but we were created by God to be comparable to and compatible with Him. That's why He created us in His image and in His likeness. Singers, musicians, come on, please. I asked this question, I asked it, matter of fact, Wednesday night in discipleship class. It's not a trick question, but again, why do we ask questions? We ask questions so that you will begin to internalize and think about these things in your own heart and hopefully even beyond our time together in this building this morning. Which came first, mankind or mankind's purpose? And the answer is purpose. God had an established purpose for you and me and then created us in light of that purpose. So what does it tell us about His intended purpose for us when He created us to not just look like He looks, but to function like He functions? What does it say about His intended purpose for us when He created us like Himself? He could have created us unlike Himself. He could have created us in the image of something else. He didn't create you in the image of an angel. He created you in the image of Himself. He didn't speak to the earth when He created you. He didn't speak to the waters when He created you. When He created the fish, He spoke to the waters. When He created the plants and the animals, He spoke to the earth. But when He created you, He spoke to Himself. We would say it this way. We were cut from His cloth. See, if you're getting uncomfortable, it's because you're thinking small. And because you're thinking small, you're living small. Remember, He desires a whole lot more from us and expects a whole lot more from fellowship with us than has ever entered into our wildest imagination. We're thinking way down here, God's thinking way up here. We've got to close that gap. And there is a huge gap. Because there's a huge gap in what we think, there's a huge gap 
in how we live. And the quality of life that's available to us. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Stand with me. Praise God. Stand with me. Image and description. Let me, let me say this last part, and we'll pray. Image means more than you think it does, and we're going to break it down tonight. But we also see that we bear God's inscription. He has inscribed, that means to write upon, He has inscribed Himself upon us. Let me give you a clue to all the earthly fathers in the room. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven take great pleasure in giving gifts to us and even giving to us the Holy Spirit. What is he saying? He's saying as an earthly father, it's, it's, it's been imprinted into you to have a heart for and to give things to your children. And that exists within us because our Creator Father imprinted Himself upon us. You don't just bear His image, meaning you don't just look, you don't just have two eyes, one nose, and a mouth because God has two eyes, one nose, and a mouth. You have His inscription. You have His imprint. Again, what does that tell you about the purpose for which you were created? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you this morning. For every person under the sound of my voice. Father, I I know that these things are so precious and near and dear to your heart. And I thank you for such a time as this. In the history, the brief history, Father, of this family of faith. That you are breathing on these truths now. And like coals of fire, they are heating up inside of us. Father, that they are burning out the lies and the the untruths of this world and from Satan himself. Burning out the lies that come from religious tradition. And setting ablaze a passion for you. passion for who you are and what you desire and expect from us and what our very creation and existence demands. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit who is strengthening us inwardly with the ability to not be staggered by these truths, but to take these truths and run all the way to fellowship with you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, just the same kind of fellowship 
that you all had with one another before the worlds were ever formed. Father, I pray for those that are here this morning that have, Lord, some financial issue in their lives. Others, Lord, who may need physical healing in their bodies. Lord, those who are struggling with some type of life-controlling behavior that seems to have enslaved them, Father, I thank you this morning that the resources of the kingdom of heaven are being released into this room right now. Giving sight to the blind. Setting the captive free. Releasing those who are in bondage. Giving wisdom and insight. Supernatural cancellation of debt, Father. Prosperity and quality of life, Lord, that belongs to your sons and daughters. We release it now. We release it now, Father. We release it now. Father, may our, may our spirits, souls, and bodies all become portals now through which your wisdom, your truth, your resources can pass from eternity into time and space in this room and in the lives of those that are present here. Those who are strong in faith, helping those that may be weaker in faith this morning. Father, we believe together for breakthrough. We believe together this morning, Father, for breakthrough. We believe together this morning, Father, for breakthrough. We release our faith together now for breakthrough in lives. And Lord, I thank you that before, before uh, this day ends, we will receive testimony of breakthrough. We believe in our heart that what we speak out of our mouth comes to pass. We release breakthrough in this room now, Father. Wisdom now released in this room, Father. Truth springing up. Truth springing up like, a, like an unending well of life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I speak specifically. I speak specifically this morning. Every person under the sound of my voice, Father, for a restoration of not just our mental capacity, but, Father, a restoration of the very brain Father, I curse dementia. I curse Alzheimer's. It's part of the curse, and I curse what you've cursed. Thank you, Father, that you've given us not a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and a sound mind, a sound mind, a sound mind. You've given us the mind of Christ, and the memory of the righteous is blessed. I release, Father, mental restoration. Physical healing in the, in the cortex of the brain. Pathways, Father. Being reignited with synapses now. Recall being as, as quick as it was when we were young because our youth's being renewed like the eagles. We release it now, Father. In Jesus' name. Oh, let's worship Him for a moment now, church. Praise God. You believe it? Your faith, you're joining your faith with mine this morning? You're releasing your faith this morning? Amen. Let's worship Him before we are dismissed. Go ahead, Matt. Let's worship Him this morning. Let's give the Holy Spirit. Sometimes giving Him room to operate in your life just involves giving Him time to do it. Giving Him a moment to do it. We get so rushed. Amen. 
Let's worship Him for a moment. If you desire hands to be laid on you, someone to pray with you, you come forward. Be happy to do that this morning. But let's worship Him. And let the, whether it's here at the altar with somebody else praying with you or where you're standing right there, it's going to be the same Holy Spirit. It's going to be the same Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship Him this morning.